Well, I really cherish this time to get to uh, speak to you about the issue of sexual purity. Um, and so I just want to—I want to start with prayer, and then um, I want to uh, share with you a few truths from God's Word. Father, would you please help us? Uh, Lord, you know my mo- main focus tonight has been on thinking about marriage, and so I need you to quicken my mind and help me. Uh, have the right thoughts and and help for these brothers regarding sexual immorality. Oh God, would you help me to be, uh, would you fill me with your power and also give me balance and truth. I want to pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think the first thing I, I want to say is that we cannot overestimate the power of, of this particular sin in this particular generation. And so it's, it's not like that this generation is the first to ever have dealt with the difficulty of sexual immorality and the temptations towards uh, sexual immorality. There have been prostitution is called the world's oldest profession. And from the earliest books of the Bible, we see sexual immorality and people being impure. In Proverbs chapter 5, written 3,000 years ago, we have warnings against sexual immorality and extended discussions about how to avoid the adulterous woman. In one sense, the whole book of Proverbs is set up as a book that tells us to come towards the lady wisdom and avoid the woman folly. And so there's really nothing, in one sense, new about this. And it wasn't even new for the um, people of the New Testament. I mean, I did some research recently on the uh, Greco-Roman culture that the book of Corinthians was written in. And it is stunning uh, the level of, of uh, immoral, degrading uh, exposure that those people would have gone through. So if you were in the living room of a, of a Greco-Roman person, there would be a fresco on the wall, maybe of a couple engaging in a sexual act, right there in the living room. So forget shielding the kids, that's just in the living room. The coffee mugs, or the, the coffee mugs would have actually men engaging in homosexual activities engraved into the cups. And so you're, you're talking about a culture where everywhere you went, uh, sexual licentiousness was just prevalent. Even in the church we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Uh, this warning against men who think that their Christian liberty can be used to go to prostitutes. And so we're we're not the only generation that's ever dealt with uh, sexual immorality and sexual temptation. And at the same time, there are some unique uh, challenges uh, to this day and age. There, There was a time when to access pornographic material required or to access uh, sexually inappropriate something like a strip club or something meant you drove down to the seedy part of town you risked being seen and you went out of your way to access those kinds of things if you lived in a small town you risked being seen and known or if you wanted that brought into your home it came wrapped in a brown paper bag so that no one knew what you were getting but now you literally have access to the worst brothels in the planet, not simply on your PC at home, but literally on your phone in your pocket. And pornography 
A new pornographic film is made every 45 minutes. We've got the state of California passing laws about having to wear condoms while making pornography. That's to the level, it's so explicit, so everywhere that now we're regulating it in these perverse ways. A number of years back, it was said that the amount of money spent in North America on pornography was $10 billion, which is more than every professional sport combined. Now you think of all the NBA hats and shirts and logos and NFL shirts and logos and and Major League Baseball paraphernalia out there, you are dealing with something that is prevalent, more prevalent. People are more engaged. You, you go to work and everyone can talk baseball. Everyone can talk basketball. Everyone can talk football. And yet more people, to, more, to the tune of more money, are engaged in sexual immorality on the Internet, fantasizing through pornogra- pornography. And so it's a huge, huge, massive, all-pervasive, prevalent everywhere kind of a problem. And then you add to that the fact that we live in a culture where, uh, it's interesting, I didn't go through all this in my talk on dating, but America has literally moved from a place where we practiced arranged marriages to a place where they practiced the calling system, which is where you invited the gentleman to be at your home and under your father, spend some time with it, to a dating time, to now couples are literally talking about the fact that they don't even need to date. In fact, they don't want to date. They just become friends with benefits. They just hook up, engage in sexual immorality, and don't have to bother with the relationships or the roses or the dinners or anything like that. And so that's just accessible and available at every single level of society and just prevalent. And so the temptations... Uh, on people are incredible. And it's my experience that few sins are so deceptive. So I'll meet many people who are utterly, or I've met many people who are utterly in bondage to sexual sin, can't stop looking at pornography ever, and yet are totally convinced they're, they're converted. <laughs> Even though the Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the sexually immoral shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But then on top of that, not only do we have multitudes who are deceived and consumed with pornography, but it is my experience that I can talk to some of the godliest men I know and there's occasional stumbles in this area. That this is an area where they fall down and where they lose their purity. And I guess what I want to do tonight is I want to speak about a few principles uh, to help us really think about fighting this sin and walking away from this sin. And, and, and a, a, a first two principles I want to look at are in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. And I bring these principles up here to begin with because these are church principles. These are community principles. These are truths that should be practiced in the church. One of the biggest things that will uh, 
keep the church from having victory is when the men of the church will never talk to one another about the fact that this is happening, that this is something that happens in the church. If a guy has the sense that I could never tell anybody that I was angry with my wife, then he will never confess his sins to one another and be healed. And so you create this stifling environment on any sin where you can't talk about that because we're all acting like good Christians and none of us ever struggle like this. And we're always better off coming to one another, bearing each other's burdens and confessing our sins to one another so we may be healed. And one of the important things we should do is we don't need to get rid of the stigma of pornography in the sense that we say it's okay to be into pornography and be a Christian. We don't need to get rid of the stigma that way. But we do need to get rid of the stigma in the sense that this ought to be a thing that if a person is struggling with it, they need to come forth. They need to ask for help. They need, they need to get prayer from brothers and encouragement from brothers. And, and honestly, I'll be perfectly honest, as I, as I think towards this time, if I could encourage you just to begin to speak to each other and pray with each other and talk with each other, I would be happy to sit down. Because that will be a tremendous means of grace, perhaps beyond anything I could say this evening. It would be that ongoing pastoral counsel, an ongoing pa- counsel from friends that comes when men are honest with each other about the nature of this fight. And so the first principle comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. You know that the book of Hebrews just repeatedly tells us how Christ is better. He's better than all the promises of Judaism. He's really better than anything. And then repeat, uh, Hebrews is repeatedly full of these warnings to not leave Christ who is better. To not go back to what's, what's less than Christ. And a number of those warnings really point us to each other, and to the help we can receive through one another. So notice verse 12, take care brothers, take care brothers. It doesn't just say take care brother, it doesn't say read this verse alone in your devotional time and pray about this, but take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, lest you leading you to fall away from the living God. We need to be watching out for each other. You know the old question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You have a responsibility for your brother to care for them, to care for them and to beware about them and to be careful that there not be in any of them an evil and unbelieving heart. Because what happens to evil unbelieving hearts? It leads you to fall away from the living God. It's, it's bad soil that the seed won't finally take to. And eventually will fall away. Well, how do I find out if I'm bad soil or not? How do I take care that I'm an unbelieving heart? Well, Good soil responds to exhortations. True converts respond to the warnings of Scripture. Why are they there in the Scripture? Why are there these warnings? Because the people of God respond to them. They have a fear and a zeal that drives them closer to Christ when they hear the warnings of Scripture. But exhort one another. The word can also be translated encourage. But notice again the one another focus. Brothers, take care. Exhort one another. Encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. Now notice this. We're to encourage one another. Now, if you don't have any idea what discourages your brothers, how are you going to encourage them? 
If you don't have any idea where they struggle, how will you move in with any poignancy to exhort them and encourage them? And it says that we're to do this as long as it is called today. And what today is in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 is today is this whole period of time where Christ's salvation is still offered. So between now and the end of time is today. As long as we're in today and you can still have salvation and you can still fall away and you can still make it to heaven, as long as you're in this day, for the rest of your lives, you need to be warning one another. And really, this, this today should be all the time for all people. I've talked to, I heard of an 80-year-old man who said, I'm 80 years old and my eyes haven't changed. You know, there can be difficulty with the struggle with lust and pornography at any stage in life. You see repeatedly the just it's a it's almost like a it's almost like a cliche, the fifty year old man who dumps his first wife for the trophy wife. This 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 problem does not end when a man turns twenty seven or twenty eight. It can be difficult. As long as it's called today and this battle is on, you have to be exhorting one another that you not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I need to be very blunt with you. One of the deadliest things about sexual immorality is it has a deep ability to convince you that you will go to heaven even though you're immersed in it. There, and why do I say that? Why do I say that sexual immorality has a deep ability to convince men that they will go to heaven even though they're immersed in it. Why do I say that? I say that because over and over and over, those, these words are used in the New Testament. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And it's the original lie, isn't it? You shall not die. You shall, this, this will not be that bad. You can be immersed in this and it won't finally kill you. Do not believe what the preacher is saying. Yes, it's bad, but it's not that bad. At the end of the day, you'll go to heaven. You'll get out of it. You'll be fine. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral will not... I want you to see all the instances of this. Look at Ephesians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You've got to get the weight of this. Ephesians chapter 6. Sorry, uh, sorry 1 Corinthians. My apologies. 1 Corinthians And in 1 Corinthians, uh, we read these words in chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, chapter 6, verse 9, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Verse 3 of chapter 5, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is impure, or everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do you see this twice now? Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, I believe. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap. Corruption, destruction, don't be deceived. So, you have to be aware that there's this deep potential in your soul to go on in sexual immorality and to convince yourself it will all turn out in the end. All will be well, and it won't be. Do not be deceived. And then, when we go back to Hebrews chapter 3, we realize that we have a role to play in each other's lives of not being deceived. That part of the way I keep from being deceived, the part of the way that I keep from following an evil and unbelieving heart, is that I'm in a community where we exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because we have come to share in Christ if we made a decision once at a meeting. No. We have come to share in Christ if we had a good ten years as Christians. No. We have come to share in Christ if we even grew up like a vine with lots of joy. No. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. We have need of perseverance. And what helps us persevere is not brothers who talk about the weather and just know all the scores for all the games. It's not even brothers who just know how to distinguish between imputation and infusion of righteousness. It's brothers who know how to get in each other's lives and exhort one another as long as it's called today so that none of them will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, because they know that all of them have need of pressing on in obedience to Christ. And even more than obedience to Christ, gospel faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse... um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23... Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. See what that temptation is again? To waver. Hebrews chapter 2, we must give all the mercy heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Hebrews chapter 3, there's the temptation to fall away. Hebrews chapter 10, we can waver. We're being warned against this. 
It says, let us consider how to, sorry, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as the day is coming near, all the more. There's just all the more encouragement. Brothers, there, there's so much reason to be pure. There are so many good reasons to stay pure for the last day because the pure in heart, they will see God. That's the goal of all of we've, all of our faith. It's not that we, not just that we'd have perfect marriages, not just that we've had good kids, but that we would see God. And the pure in heart will see God. There is a holiness without which no man will see the Lord. And so, but it's, but it's, here's the deal. It's not your battle alone. You are your brother's keeper. You are responsible for caring for your brother. Now let me draw out just two very, very simple Simple applications. You need to tell people where you struggle. You need to tell people where you struggle. And tonight we're focusing on sexual immorality, but you need to tell people. James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Galatians chapter 6, in the context of restoring a brother from sin, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if we never tell anyone our burdens and we don't let anyone know and we decide we're going to be, we're going to be the guy who pretends he's the one male who never struggled with lust. He's the one guy who's never been affected by any pop-up on the computer. He's the one guy who doesn't even get phased by that stuff. You won't get the help you need to persevere until the end. But other men may not get the help they need. Because there's nothing that encourages men to confess more than a man who's confessing. So the first application is you need to tell people where you struggle. Maybe in your small group. Maybe to your father. Oh, I'm so encouraged by some of the fathers I've seen over the years, who would just have open discussions with their sons about the temptations they would face. And I knew one boy in Minneapolis, his dad found out about the temptations he's faced, and all of a sudden the computer went onto the dining room table, right in public, right where everyone can see it. To put, to put a computer in your child's room alone, you might as well build a brothel in their room. You might as well just set up a prostitute right in their room to put someone without self-control. And, and fathers, do you know where your son's struggles are? Do you know? Have you asked them? Are you aware of what they've been exposed to and what they've seen and what tempts them? Because I guarantee you there's been a level of exposure. I don't care how hard you've tried to isolate them. There's been a level of exposure and you need to know what it's been. Not so you can condemn them. Not so you can be just scandalized. But so you can be ministering to them. 
and helping them. So you need to tell people. And then the second thing is, you need to minister to your brothers with exhortations and encouragements, not just condemnations. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you move in to help another brother with their... There are problems in sexual immorality. You need to do it with a spirit of gentleness. I mean, think of what it takes for one man to look at another and work up the courage to confess a sin. And if they are met even once by a spirit of condemnation, they may never confess again. So make sure... They're met in a spirit of gentleness. And then restore them. And watch yourself. Keep watch on yourself. Lest you too be tempted. And so, the first principles I wanted to lay out is this is really a community fight. It's one in which small groups and in families and in friendships over coffee, men ought to be caring for one another. They ought to be confessing to one another because they realize that pressing on in the faith is at stake. And that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And they not only share with one another, but they greet one another's confessions with grace and with kindness. And then, what would be some of the things we would say to a brother who is struggling? What would be some of the things we would say to a brother who is struggling? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And I think while we turn there, I'll just do a little aside because it keeps popping into my mind. And I want to just mention to you the, the issue of speaking to your wives. The issue of speaking to your wives. We're speaking right now about brothers speaking to one another. But what about speaking to your wife? And I think it's very important that we make some critical distinctions here. One, if you have actively sought out pornography, or you have actively fantasized and perhaps masturbated, um, fantasizing about some woman, then Jesus says that you have committed adultery. He says, whoever lusts in his heart has committed adultery, and I would encourage you to confess that to your wife. Because adultery is not just a sin you've committed against God, although it's primarily that, Psalm 51, against you and you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? But you have also committed a sin against your wife, and you need to seek her repentance, her, her forgiveness, and you need to seek her prayers um, and you and I just I, I want to exhort this to you I, I realize that 
This is a very hard thing to call men to, but I think for many it winds up being the breakthrough. I mean, how, how do you have deep fellowship with a woman who you're hiding that from? How, how do you walk through the home like everything's fine when that's what's happened in your mind and that's just been put away into a closet? A marriage between a husband and a wife is one with no secrets. It's one with no, no, uh, no, hidden, no hidden sins between one another. And so I would exhort you that you've sinned against her. And, and people say, well, it's going to break her heart to tell her. Well, you've already done what should break her heart. One of the things that keeps me from, from pornography is exactly what I know it would do to my wife is that I never want to have to go to her and tell her that I've committed this sin. I never want that. I am terrified of that moment. And it keeps me away from it because I love her. I know it would break her. But if you've done what breaks her, then you need to go to her and tell her. And even though it breaks her, you ask her forgiveness. You don't, and you don't tell you got to forgive me, I confess. No, you just ask for her forgiveness. But there's a critical distinction and a mistake that make, men make at this time, and that's that I would encourage you. Confessing sin is very different than confessing temptation. You do not confess every temptation to your wife. You know why? Because things that are a flittering temptation for a split second, you want it's a half an hour discussion. It's a forty-five minute. Or I was tempted fifty-nine times. A fifty-nine times. What? Like they can't even understand. And a temptation is not a sin. You can be bombarded by wicked images. You can constantly feel the desires and the pulls of the flesh. But if you walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh, you're not sinning. So let me be very careful. Just because you're being bombarded with old images you put in your mind in the past or new images you may have put in your mind recently or maybe just something springs into your mind or, a, or there's a tempting situation, temptation does not call for, for, for confession. Because my wife and I dealt with this early in marriage and I said, listen, if I were to confess every temptation to you, I would spend more time thinking about this thing in the confession than I did when I was dealing with it. It would take on more detail in my mind while describing it to you than it did when I just went in my mind, Lord, help me know. Lord, help me look away. And I looked away. And it, it, is, it, will, it will ruin a wife's soul to have a man who comes home and gives her a catalog of temptation every day. He comes home from work. It will just wreck her. And it will wreck you and you'll become overly sensitive to it. The, the way to walk in the midst of temptation is you feel the pulls of the flesh, but you say, that's not me, I'm a new man. I reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Yes, this body of death still pulls me towards sin. Yes, the flesh has the desires, but the Spirit has her desires too, doesn't He? The Spirit has His desires too, doesn't He? The Spirit, and I walk by the Spirit, and as I walk by the Spirit, I do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I, I'm sorry, I know I got you to 1 Corinthians, but we need to go back to Galatians because I'm, I'm on this now. This is so important. I find that there are men who are getting victory over sexual sin who feel defeated. I find there are men getting victory over sexual sin 
who constantly feel defeated. Because they think that the presence of strong, sinful desires in them is sin. But the presence of strong, sinful desires in you doesn't mean you've sinned. It just means you've faced temptation. And the Bible does not envision us rising above ever being tempted. It it envisions us rising above the temptation. Let me show you this from the text. Ephesians chapter 5, sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now this passage is one of victory. It's one that says there's two poles in your, in, your, in your being. A pole from the desires of the flesh and a pole from the desires of the Spirit. And if you will follow the Spirit, then be led by the Spirit, then you're not even under the law. But notice, what does the person who feels the desires of the Spirit and even follows the desires of the Spirit, what do they still feel? They feel the desires of the flesh. Right there alongside them all the time. But their presence and their temptation doesn't mean you're following them. Doesn't mean you're walking in them. This to me was a massive point of victory to understand this. Because I used to just walk through life and every time a temptation would come into my mind, I would just beat myself for even having the temptation. If I was a godly man, I wouldn't even have these temptations. No, godly men do have these temptations. But they follow the Spirit in the midst of them. They walk by the Spirit. And they do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so brothers, you are not going to get to a place in this flesh, in this lifetime, where you never feel temptation. You are not going to get to a place in this world, unless this culture radically changes, where you are not constantly exposed to immoral billboards and low-cut dresses and, and, and lots of cleavage. You are not going to get away from that. It is going to be there, but at every moment the Spirit's voice is there too. And the presence of temptation is not a call to confession. It's a call to walk by the Spirit. Now, what truths would we share with our brothers? 1 Corinthians 6. What truths would we share with our brothers? So we've said this is a community project, as one person put it. This is something we do in community. I've spoken a little bit about not being deceived and not thinking this is something you can just forget about. I've also talked about how to handle your wives and just a loving, careful repentance with their husband's sin. And then not a foolish confession of temptation that can really wreck a marriage for no reason. But what truths will we share with our brothers when they confess to us Well, I want to share with you the truths that Paul shared with the Corinthians when some of the men thought their Christian liberty allowed them to go to prostitutes. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all things are lawful for me. And I believe Paul is quoting the Corinthians at this point. They were saying, everything's lawful for me. But not all things, and Paul answers them back, yeah, but not everything's helpful. You might be free from the law, but it is in no way helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Um, verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, they say again, but Paul says, yeah, but I won't be enslaved by anything. I'm free in Christ. I won't go back to lust and be enslaved in it, or pornography and be enslaved in it, or prostitution and be enslaved in it. And then they had this little quote. He's quoting the Corinthians again. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. And they're basically saying, hey, my body's meant for food. And the, the image here is basically, they're, they're kind of using this as an excuse. My body's meant for food. Food goes in my body. My body's going to be destroyed. And they're basically saying sex is the same way. It's just natural desire, natural appetite I got. My body's going to be destroyed in the end. So what does it matter? And Paul answers them back, no, wait a second. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And your body does matter. You're going to be raised from the dead. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. And here's where he really gets into the key truths that help in sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That hand you're using for immoral activity, do you know that it's a member of Christ? That it's joined to Christ? That you're united. Those eyes you're using to, to, to undress that sister in your mind. Don't you know those eyes are members of Christ? You see, if you, if you understand that you're united with your wife and you're one flesh with your wife, you will not abuse your wife because you're one flesh with her, right? And do you, if you understand that your members are one with Christ, that your hands are Christ's hands, that your eyes are Christ's eyes, that your very bodies are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, what are you doing with those eyes? What are you doing with those hands? Those are His. They're holy property. Holy in the Lord. Not to be used for any immorality. And so it's actually an encouragement, isn't it? That's how he starts. Brother, you, your body is a member of Christ. That stuff is unthinkable for you. You're not trying to become someone you're not. You need to start acting like who you are. You're a member of Christ. And Paul goes on. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Am I going to unite my members, my, 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 my private members, my arms, every part of me? Am I going to unite me with a prostitute? I'm, it's like taking Christ, as one person said, to an X-rated movie. It's like, it's like taking Christ into a brothel. It, it's unthinkable. We're the people who love to sing hymns and choruses and songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We're the people who love nothing more but prayer times where we're fellowshipping with the Lord. That's what we love. And you're going to take you and unite you with a prostitute? No, you've got to believe who you are, brother. You've got to know who you are in the Gospel. You've been born again. You've been united to Christ. You've been made a new man. Your members are members of Christ. Don't unite them with something vile. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that He was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's why you can't do it. You're uniting them. 
But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. You have a spiritual union with Christ. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. I was going to go to Proverbs 5, but let me just break down 1 Corinthians 6 into three points and then I'll be done. Here's the three things you can share. Here's the three things you can share with brothers over coffee when you confess. Mind your mind. Mind your mind. Move your body. Aim for glory. Mind your mind. Move your body. Aim for glory. Now what do I mean? My mind your mind? I mean, think about it. You're a member of Christ. The point I just made. I already made this. I'll just tell you the point later. The first one, mind your mind. Remember, you're a member of Christ. Remember, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about who you are. If you think that you're a raging bundle of hormones, you will act out on those desires. If you think you're an evolutionary byproduct that's just here to procreate, you will act out on those desires. If you think you're a condemned and guilty sinner, then you will have no hope in God and you will act out on those desires. But if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and a member of Christ, it will be unthinkable. And the first step in sanctification is to help the brothers think about who they are. It's to get their theology right. To help them think you are a member of, the, of, of, the whole, of, of Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So do not unite it with sexual immorality. Mind your mind. Flee. Move your body. Second point, move your body. Notice that in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that people are far too sophisticated for this command. Flee. Which means, watch the movie, but be careful. Flee. Which means, hang out with a sexually enticing girl and witness to her as long as you can, even though you're going crazy inside. Flee. Which means, take the person who's the most immodest at work and spend time with them regularly. No, flee means flee. The number one New Testament command and Old Testament command for avoiding sexual immorality is really simple. It's four letters, flee. What did Joseph do with Potiphar's wife? He said, I've got to tell you about Yahweh. You're an Egyptian. <laughs> he left. He fled. Someone's watching a movie that makes you stumble. You either confront the Christians you're with about watching it or you walk out of the room. I, I, I was exposed to pornography from the earliest days of my life or from very early days of my life. Exposed to sexual immorality from before I, was even, I even hit puberty. And, and uh, when I became a Christian, uh, as I began to deal with these things, I just had to get rid of my TV. We have one in, my, in our house now. It never causes me to stumble, but I spent probably more than half a decade without a TV at all. Why? Because I, I couldn't watch it discerningly. I, I couldn't. I didn't have the power. I didn't have the self-control. I So you have to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. The, the way to get victory is not to see if you can do the same things and get stronger. It's to get away from them and get stronger. To flee. You get away. And there may be some things that are not wrong in and of themselves, and later in your life you may be able to go near them. But if there's a temptation, you do not make a provision for the flesh. 
If the cheerleaders for your favorite sports team cause you to stumble, you don't watch your favorite sports team. It's in the story. Because you flee. Because you want to go to heaven more than you want them to win the championship. If you can't get it together to turn the advertisements off during your favorite game, then you don't watch TV. Isn't that just basic? But I won't be up on all the scores. You'll be okay. You'll be in heaven. And if there's another brother who can turn the TV off every time there's commercials to get rid of the immorality, you don't judge him. Because he may be doing everything he needs to do to flee. There's no, there's no one law here. But you flee. You mind your mind. You remember who you are. I'm the temple. I'm in Christ. And then you get away from sexual immorality. Get away from things that are tempting. There, there are men who have computers who cannot get over the, the, the pop-up ads who cannot stop clicking and going to uh, immoral sites. And I'm telling you, if you have to, you get rid of your computer. Everyone's got a computer. Not you. You don't have a computer. Better to go to heaven with no computer than to hell with a computer. Better to go to heaven without an iPhone because you can't handle having an iPhone than to go to hell with an iPhone. You flee. It's just that simple. You cut it off. You gouge it out. And then, lastly, you aim for glory. Verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? That's how you mind your mind. You remember who you are. Remember you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mind your mind. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. There is only one good reason to get victory over sexual immorality. And that's the glory of God. Getting over sexual immorality just to make your marriage better is idolatry. I meet men all the time who hate their sexual morality and can't get victory over it. It's made me think, why? How come they can hate it so much, be so burdened by it, and not get victory? And here's what I think the reason is. They hate feeling guilty. They hate that it's wrecking their marriage. But they don't hate that it's offending the glory of God. And so they are depressed. They are discouraged. They are exasperated. They wish they could get over it. But they wish they could get over it so they didn't have to feel guilty all the time. They wish they could get over it so their marriage wouldn't be in shambles. And they don't wish they could get over it so they could glorify God in their bodies. And the reason you want to get over sexual immorality is not just so your wife will get off your back and quit crying over the mess you're making of the marriage. The reason you want to get over sexual immorality is because you were meant to glorify God. You were meant to shine forth His radiance and His purity and you can't do it while you're taking the members of Christ and uniting them with immorality. So brothers, 
we have before us a community project of the most important magnitude, <laughs> namely helping each other persevere till the end. It involves honesty with one another, confession with one another. It means we treat one another gently. It means confession to our wives where there's been sin so that they can warn us every day as long as it's called today. It means that we don't get deceived and think that this will just we'll be fine. We'll go to heaven anyway. We don't get deceived by that. And then it means we speak to one another. When we speak to one another, we say three things. Mind your, mind your mind. Get thinking about who you are. Don't fall into the lies of the devil. You need to know who you are. If you know who you are, you won't do this. Because who you are is too glorious and who you're united to is too holy for you to keep messing around with that. And then you flee. You move your body. You relocate yourself. You get out of the temptation. You fall every time you go on business travel. Then you travel with your wife. Or you set up real strict guidelines when you travel. You do whatever it takes to move your body. You know there's going to be pornography on the TV in that hotel room. You call the hotel room and have them cut it off in your room. You mind your mind. You move your body. And then you aim for glory. You make sure the reason you're fighting is because you love the glory of God. Because you love what He did on the cross for sinners. And you love that He's redeeming you to display His glory. You love the glory of God, He will not deny you victory. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we give You praise just for this band of brothers here tonight. I pray, Lord God, that this talk will just result in hundreds and thousands of interactions of confession. I pray that You would give grace to the brothers. That they would um, be gentle with one another. That they would be confessional to one another. Not as priests, as if they were going to some Catholic priest, but Lord, as just brothers who help one another in the fight. I pray, Lord God, that You'd help them to teach each other who they are in Christ. To call each other to flee. And Lord, I pray that You would not only do that, but you just, You'd really give a heart for Your glory to every man. Lord, I pray for those who don't know You here, who don't know what it is to glory in Christ Jesus, to know what it is to aim for glory. I pray that You would just give them grace to see the wickedness of glorying in themselves. And they would glory in the Savior who died for wicked sinners. I pray for the wives represented here tonight. Lord, that You would protect them as their husbands confess sins to them. That You would guard them and give them a gracious and gentle restoring response. We pray that if there's marriages that need counsel after this time, that You would just make the men available to give that counsel. Make other couples available to give it and to give hope. Lord, I pray no one would harden themselves against these truths. I pray You do these things in Christ's name. And thank You for victory. Thank You for victory over sexual immorality. In Christ's name, Amen. Thanks, brothers.